Hey guys, it's Dustin Wynn, and you are listening to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the dastardly daring duo of Ross. Hi. <laughs> he gets two. <laughs> We also have the cunning conundrum captain, Curtis. Hello. We also have the riddling rebounder, Reverman, CBS. I don't totally know what that means. Get to work. And we have the optimal opus, Anobris. I think that's a fake word. <laughs> Rob. That's, that's a pretty terrible opening. It's pretty good stuff. You should didn't say Uranus. That's that's it's Rob, everybody. <laughs> the optimum opening of Uranus. <laughs> I think I don't think you pronounce it that way. Uranus. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Scientific. Well, they were all supposed to start with the same letter. <laughs> oh, well, did they? Yeah. I'll be damned. You didn't catch that? I no. Your onomatopoeia skills are crap. Wait. That's- <laughs> Uh, yeah. I don't think Wait a minute. Saying. Wasn't that an Indian guy? <laughs> I think it was. That was Pocahontas. <laughs> oh, damn it. No, that's something to do. Wait. No. What'd you say? Uh, I'm on a pier. I'm wearing a Yes. <laughs> Shut up, Steve. <laughs> you mean Superman found her in a country? That <laughs> <laughs> makes sense now. It all comes full circle. That's why you have to say to any of that. It's ridiculous. Now I know why they changed the national anthem. Because it was always with heat vision. (laughs) Under the big S. One nation under the heat vision of the big S. (laughs) With liberty and justice for Zod. (laughs) All nil before Zod. I understand why they changed it. Snoochie boochies. Something else I've heard before. Alright, uh, so today we're doing episode number 66. Yeah, Alright. Oh, I think you want to do it twice. Stop! It's <laughs> stuck. stuck. Quit hitting the button! <laughs> travel too far. Oh my gosh. We've got ludicrous. So is that opening more of a homage to the Batman 66 series? Amish? No, Ahmed. They should have been. Ahmed are people that don't use electricity. Horse. Okay. And horses and carriages. <laughs> Turn butter. Have beards. Flat hats. Raise barns. <laughs> You're just, uh, just sing the song, man. <laughs> That's <laughs> what you want to do. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, okay, so episode 66. Uh, book-wise, we're going to be doing... Paper Girls number one, Image Comics. Uh, Doctor Strange number one, Marvel Comics. Batman and Robin Eternal, DC, DC. Comics. <laughs> Survivors Club, Vertigo, Vertigo, via DC Comics. And then Avengers Zero, Marvel. Marvel. <laughs> All right. Entertainment. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Were you here Marvel, first? Disney Entertainment. Marvel Big Ears Entertainment. Whatever. So, don't really have a whole lot of news news, I don't think. Ross, you got anything over there? Mm-mm. He's excited. Yeah, we're getting close to Fallout coming out. 
That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Fallout 3? 4. Fallout 4. Four. Oh. Jesus, yes. dude. Yes. And if you haven't checked yet, they're about halfway through making, like, 1950s animated skits of the special tree. So, if you haven't checked any of those out, go check them out. They're awesome. When I was in my uh, statistics class the other day, while the teacher was talking, the kid next to me was watching those in class. <laughs> Don't do it while you're in class. Those are good statistics. Yeah, I know, right? Because Ross will use his taser app on you. <laughs> That's true. Awesome. Kills the battery. It sucks. Yeah. Really. <laughs> it's just a flashing light. <laughs> All right, I'm seeing you. <laughs> you pay attention to this guy up here. He's teaching us Borophil. <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Maybe he was learning statistics. Through the special. Mm. He learned what made him special. That was what it was. <laughs> Strength and perception first. God. Endurance. Oh my god. Charisma. Yeah. Intelligence. 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 Agility yeah. and luck. We're, we're up to intelligence. We got a couple more. I don't think we have that in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Agility? We've got the special. Oh, I see. The, spe oh, the special. Yeah. We're the special. Hmm? Hmm. But yeah, no, that game is going to be awesome. <laughs> All right. I would talk more, but I haven't watched a damn thing about it because I want it to be a surprise. <laughs> It'll be a surprise. That's for sure. Just like Star Wars. <laughs> See, that's the trick for me. Like, I've already seen a little too much of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to go in with a inflated sense of... You know, I don't know, but I, I'm already over the, the new Sith guy. Like, I, when I first seen him show up and I just saw the back of his head and he had the cross guard lightsaber, I was like, that guy's pretty cool. And now I see him all over the place, I'm like, That's how I feel see, about Vader. He kind of looks stupid now. I feel like we've seen a ton about him. I, I don't know anything about any of them still, no. so. No, I don't know anything about him. But you're right, it does kind of ruin the mystery of that character, because they're... Well, Darth Maul just was so awesome. Like, I couldn't get enough looking at that guy. Mm -hmm. This new guy, I'm just like, eh, he's got a toaster head. And Darth Maul was in the movies how much? Yeah, he was pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, nah, he's he's like one of the greatest failings of modern villainry. Well, in the movie itself, after the movie in the, what is it now, the Legends, not the Expanded Universe? Oh. Yeah, have they changed it? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, he's a great character. You know, he's just... Sad to see that he was handled so His after-film life has been more successful. Well, for him, yeah. Same with Robert Downey Jr. Actually, he's, he's still in canon. Darth Maul is. Well, like, they should shoot him then. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> all the spider legs and stuff, that's all still is it? canon. Yeah, because it took place in Clone Wars. And <clears throat> Clone Wars is yeah, Clone Wars is considered canon. Oh, they kept Clone Wars canon. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's like the only thing. What about the... Canon, was that the Gennady Tartofsky stuff? No, just the last okay. show. But it's pretty much the, the same. I thought they kept the 15-minute ones, too. Didn't they keep the, the Gennady stuff? Not not technically, but there wasn't really any, like, canon revelations or anything in those, huh. either. So. No, not really. Except for that General Grievous is a badass in animation. Yeah. It kind of sucks in practical film. Yeah. Take that, multiple arms. Yeah. He was sick. Yeah, yeah, because he got his chest crushed by. Having off screen Nick doesn't theory. count. Doesn't count having off screen. 
Get him as an inhaler. It's fine. So Boba Fett's still alive is what you're telling me? Probably. No, Boba Fett was dead because it never got out on screen. Oh, right, yeah. Punk ass. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, in that Star Wars Aftermath book, they, I mean, they don't really say anything, but there's Jawas selling Boba Fett's armor in it. That they've scavenged. Doesn't matter. So the worm finally hit a bell movement. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, aren't they talking about doing a Boba Fett film? So. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say he probably escaped. Unless it's going to be like colonial uh, there's time. There's a Han Solo movie, too, and that's going to be when he's younger. So. Yeah, it's going to be weird. So I guess Boba Fett could easily be. That's right. Well, when, Shia LaBeouf playing Han Solo makes perfect sense. When you say Han Solo as younger, is it before. Uh, what's his name? Guy that crashed the plane. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford was portraying him. Yeah, it's supposed to be like earlier in Han Solo. So it's like an origin kind of thing. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. That's why we catch Shia LaBeouf. Everybody knows he's young Han, young Han Solo. Evidently. Everybody knows he's young Harrison Ford. Well, he plays the kid in the Indiana Jones movies. Oh, I see where the. Yeah, right. It works in his own world. Weird. World. Shut up. <laughs> weird world. Well, as far as Jawa selling Boba Fett's armor is concerned, I thought you said Jabba. Jawa. Jawa. Oh, the Jawas are dirt smugglers. Yeah. I gotcha. Otini. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the ones. Okay. Good stuff. That's a book written by Greg Rucka. No, that's the. No, Greg Rucka did the Han Solo he one. He did the little Han Solo oh, one. Oh, right, one's okay. A one. Which is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was news about the, well, which we all kind of expected, uh, Ant-Man Wasp new movie happening. I had a date, and I don't remember it now, so... <laughs> Maybe that's that. why you're not getting lucky. Hey, <laughs> no, that's, that, now, now I feel bad, thanks. <laughs> Good job. Those dates move around anyways. <laughs> He's right. That's true. I feel better now. Thanks. Well, I agree with that. Because they push back uh, Captain Marvel. And Hang on, are we talking about the movie still? What's yeah. going on? No. Okay. You didn't push back nothing yet. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, they push back uh, Captain Marvel and... Yeah, Captain Marvel and... Uh, Black Panther? Thor got pan- Black Panther got moved forward, actually. Did it? Um, that was three, the last months. time. Yeah. Huh. It in uh, the second or in the first Spider-Man Sony movie. Oh yeah, Thor's gonna be called Ragnarok or something. That's right. From what I hear, somebody said Thor. Who really cares? Was the name oh of? man, oh. that's not very nice. <laughs> well, if Ragnarok is the death of everything. Yeah, it's not gonna be the death. No, of everything. It's, it's, it's a clever name. But... I'm hoping we get the robot Thor that's named Ragnarok. That'd be awesome. Then we have two Thors. <clears throat> All I care about is getting better rebuild. Oh, that'd be awesome. That's all I care about. You know, Let's do that I, story instead. Better go. I could see that happening, too. Course face Thor? Hell yeah. Yeah. We'll have Vin Diesel probably be playing him. He's up, he's up there in just a Will Wheaton horse mask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> now you know why Ross will come up with shows, because I keep expecting him to pull off all the masks to see if it's Will Wheaton. <laughs> <sighs> Scooby-Doo. Best ending ever. Like Rossi do. I think that's something different. <laughs> yeah, I wish you'd wash your hands. God damn. Just saying. Okay, so uh, without any further dog pound nonsense or 
you know. We never even went to the dog pile. No, well, the dog pile. No, we didn't. There wasn't anything. There wasn't well, we did there. talk about Scooby's do. Well, that's, no, that was Rossi's do. Oh, that's right. the same. It just happened, man. When? God damn it. Damn it. <laughs> no. Well, okay, soon. let's... Soon. <laughs> soon. When's it gonna happen? Soon. <laughs> now. Let's, anything else? News related? You've already moved on, dude. Where, it doesn't matter what I've done. The Flash. <laughs> just, just oh, this one that's right. The, the, the Flash is... The Flash's first episode came out, and that was pretty good. Second season, first Second episode. season, first episode. Yeah. Uh, I, Zombies, second season, first episode, pretty good. Did it come out already? Yeah, came out same night. Oh, yeah, I mentioned to you today... Um, uh, Edge, Adam Copeland, yes. is going to be playing the Adam Smasher in The Flash. I want to say Adam Smasher was in the first episode, so maybe that's where it happened. I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. So. You know, in my, I guess that was Edge. He looks different with short hair. Uh-huh. Man, okay. Just think that's cool. I didn't correlate those two things together, but that, that's who it was. Yeah, he's a... Be damned. He's a fairly good actor. Hmm. Not like, you know... Hulk Hogan. Some other, some <laughs> other uh, wrestler actors. This pulls will be out from underneath the bus. Who, like, who no, do we got? Hulk Hogan. Not like Batista. Oh, come on, man. I didn't think he was too bad. I thought he was good as Drax. Uh, okay. <clears throat> you didn't like have to do Drax? a lot of acting. I didn't, I didn't mind him as, as Drax, but it didn't take a lot of brains to be Drax. No. And it didn't take a lot of skill to be Drax. No. So... I mean, but He felt like he read the lines pretty good. <laughs> as, a, as a wrestler acting... He did substantially better than some. Yeah. It was better than Goldberg. Goldberg is not a very good actor. You know what? I like Goldberg. I like Goldberg, but I don't like him as an actor. I liked him in Universal Soldier I and like Santa Slay. He was great. Okay, he was, he was good in Santa Slay. I thought he was terrible <laughs> as Universal Soldier. Uh, he, he just feels like he's... He's coming out in a new movie, too. can't remember what it is. It feels like they have to like motivate him for every scene, like... Say your line, you get a donut. <laughs> More like a shot. <laughs> of tranquilizer? Yes. All right. Yeah, it needs to be put down. <clears throat> yeah, that's enough of that. We're all going to get ourselves clubbed it. Clubbed it? Clubbed. Clubbed it? Yeah. No, Batista not like... And Goldberg, and they're going to be like, oh, you didn't like our acting spear. <laughs> <laughs> double, yeah. double spear. That would suck. <laughs> right? It's like the fall of man. It's good stuff. And they just walk away, and everybody's laughing until the paramedics get there, and they're like, oh, it's a tragedy. <laughs> Who would allow this? What right. just happened? Oh, I don't know. Oh, my God. I'm the show because I was talking crap about wrestlers. Just stop. Just, just stop. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who else has been an act. Being acting? Uh, John, John Cena? John, yeah, he's got a couple movies. I have never seen the Rock. John Cena films. Oh, Triple H. Oh, Triple H is, yeah, he's... And he's a terrible actor. He's fine in Blade. Then what does he do, beat things up? Yeah. That's it. You get cast where you're strong at. <laughs> Perfect. Ross, any input? Maybe he's just thinking about getting speared from two sides. It's super dangerous. Can you imagine that? I think he's looking it up on the internet right now to see what that looks like. <laughs> It looks bad. Football guillotine. You can look that up. Okay, so let's go ahead and move in. Let's go ahead and do books. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. Show you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Paper Girls number one. Man, 
Uh, this is Brian K. Vaughn writing it and uh, Cliff Chang doing the art. Image Comics. C-H-I-A-N-G? Yeah, it's the one. Oh, I was thinking of Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. It's not the same, no. No, yeah, my bad. C-H-C-H-I-A-N-G. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking of Bernard Chang. Okay. Not they, Cliff. Are they spelled different? No. No. I don't know why it'd be... Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, uh, book-wise, I mean, it opens up. We've got one of our girls, uh... At this point, we don't we don't have a name for it, because it's, I mean, it's the first issue, the first page. And she's looking at an apple on the moon, and then, uh... She gets addressed by someone off-panel, um... Which lets us know her name is Erin. And she looks up at the person, and it's, uh... An astronaut with angel wings? And, uh... She asks, is this heaven? And she's like, oh yeah, all the Challenger mission pilots are in heaven. Everybody's here, except for your, your fish and your sister. And then uh, we get a cut to the sister who's being dragged down to hell by a demon. She's told she has one chance to save the sister. By the demon. About that time, she looks at the demon and she's like... "She, she the, the sister is talking and she can't understand the sister's language at all. Because it's all written crazy. And the demon asks her a multiple choice question. And she says, uh, F you to the demon. And she says, I know this is a dream. I've had this dream before. It doesn't matter how I answer. And about that time, the uh, astronaut angel's wings burst into flames and she starts slapping her around. And things kind of go, I don't know, to hell for a second. And then she wakes up in her bed. Looks over the edge and we see it's a double side, like a, what you call bunk it, bed. bunk bed. And uh, she asks her sister if she's alive, and the sister looks up at her, uh, mad that she was woke up, and she's like, good, and goes back to bed. Fast forward from there, and we get a little uh, montage-style thing going on, where she's waking up super early. We find out that it's, on her calendar, it's addressed as Hell, Hell Day, which is the first of November, so it's the day after Halloween. And we realize that she is a paper girl, en route to making her bundles for papers to uh, take out at 4.40 in the a.m., on her bike. And we see uh, some thug hooligan types dressed up in costumes still. They're out hanging out from the night before. And we figure out that the, the day is after Halloween, so it's the, the next morning all hells, of All Hallows Eve. And apparently, it's a bad night to be a paper person, especially if you're riding on bikes because everyone's still out doing whatever. Tweeting houses, throwing eggs, you know, causing problems. Uh, she gets accosted by a few of the teenage boys in the neighborhood. That leads to her running into a few of the other paper girls. Now, Erin is our newest member of this group, we find out. And the group has four members in it, and uh, the main, I guess the leader of the group, apparently was the first paper girl, quote-unquote. Um, the year is supposed to be 1989, and gender-wise, the concept of a girl paper boy wasn't quite, a, I don't know if it was a thing then, but apparently to the girls, at least, it's a, it's a more modernizing woman-lib type thing going on. Anyway, she manages to chase off the, the thug boys with the other two girls with her. And so the pack of them decide they're going to go out and finish the newspaper routes, to, newspaper routes together. Um, because the worst night is after Halloween because all the crazies are out the next morning. So it's something they do as a group every year. Every other time, all the rest of the time, they just do normal paper routes. But this particular night, they do it differently. Anyway, well, the girls decide the only way they can clover all four paper routes is if they split into two teams. So they split into two teams, and uh, group one goes off and group two goes off. Shortly after that, we wind up hearing uh, a clutter through the radio, 
and uh, seeing some smashed pumpkins. Uh, the two of them were using they're using walkie talkies between the two groups, and uh, our first group who has our or peppermint patty looking uh, <laughs> girl Meg. Meg. She's the uh, the first one, the uh, the the tough girl of the group. Uh, we see Meg and Aaron both get stopped by a police officer, and the police officer, of course, knows Meg by name, and uh, he's really angry. Want to know what they're out doing, and they've been called about eggings and smashed pumpkins, and of course, he wants to blame the girls. We find out a little bit out about her past. Cause apparently, her brother used to be the paper boy, and she took over the route after he, I guess, got arrested. Maybe because it sounds like he got in trouble. It's hard to say what for, because they didn't really go into that. But uh, she's already got a disposition with the, the police officer, because he uh, believes she's up to no good, just like her brother. Anyway, of course she's smoking, too, so that's another thing, because she's supposed to be maybe 13, I guess. Anyway, um, after the police officer takes off, uh, the girls go on about their way, and then we get a message call through the radio that the other two girls are in trouble. So they head off to the, the area they were given on the, the radio, the walkie-talkie, and when they show up there, the, the, one of the girls is down on the ground with her knee all scraped up. And the other girl who carries around like a, a it's like a, it's not a hockey stick, but it's like a hockey stick. It's got a different end on it. Anyway, tells them that they stole their radio. And it was a couple bunch of guys dressed in terrible uh, ghost costumes because they're put together really badly. And of course the girls are like, well, which direction do they go? We got to go do something about this and try to find them. And so the girls chase off after the direction that they think the boy, that the guys went. And they wind up looking around, they wind up in a section of the neighborhood that's not developed, not, not done yet, so a bunch of unfinished houses. And uh, as they go down the road, they wind up seeing one of them has an open window. So they assume that's got to be where the guys are. And the girls are talking, and they're like, yeah, one time me and my sister went in one of these houses. People just hang out there, get drunk and party and leave beer cans everywhere. So they assume that these guys are just a bunch of frat retards that have decided to steal the radio and cause problems in order to, I don't know, get themselves noticed, maybe. Anyway, the girls sneak into the house, and they wind up having to go to the basement because they hear a noise in the basement. Come down to the basement, and they wind up finding this giant tarped thing. But it's not really a tarp. It turns out to be more of a parachute that uh, one of the girls says feels like skin. Ultimately, they uncover the thing, and it looks like, I don't know, a mutated astronaut pod? I don't know, like a lunar lander or something? Yeah, like a lunar, like the, lunar, the, like the pod you'd retrieve from a space, from the early days before they used shuttles, what do they call those things? Like an I Dream of Genie? Yes. A pod? A landing pod? A landing pod. Is what it looks like, but it's... It's kind of gross, like the way it's built. So as the girls kind of check it out, they decide it must be some type of hoax that, that these men that stole the radio are trying to pull. And they, that the reason they stole the radio is because they knew the paper girls would report it to somebody and that would get them noticed and make their whole uh, Halloween conspiracy take off. About that time, we see the machine start making a noise and then it flashes what looks like radiation. And... The girls freak out, and they run outside. All the lights in the neighborhood start going out, like power drain go out. They get outside, and a couple of them look up at the sky, and the sky looks different. Like, it's got a ha weird haze to it, and you can see the constellations really well. I assume that it's something to do with the radiation on them, or whatever hit them, changing them. We don't go into that a whole lot, 
yet. Uh, but about that time, they wind up seeing the three guys dressed in what look like ninja masks and costumes to me, but crappy mummy or ghost costumes works, I guess. So girls take off after them, and that group splits up, but they wind up catching one of them, and the girls basically take to trying to beat, it, trying to beat him up. Um, in the process, they wind up yanking off his mask, and we wind up seeing a very sloth-looking man with computer chips and stuff sticking out of his head, and he's talking in a language that looks like crazy Japanese, Chinese, Russian gibberish. And he grabs uh, grabs her main girl and starts choking her. About that time, the other girls whack him over the head and knock him out. Well, not all the way out, but knock him out. And then he, in the process of trying to revive the other girl or get back to her, he winds up getting away. But in the process, he winds up dropping something. And the drop is what the real hook is. And everybody tries to sell what's, what's happening here, actually. One of the girls comes over and looks at what it is, and they're like, it's got some weird marking on it. And the girl's like, no, it's an apple. And we get a scene in science show, should we get shown what it is? And it's the Apple icon on what looks like a motherboard chip. And that's where the book ends for the first issue. Pretty good hook. Considering everything else crazy-wise, it tells us we're dealing with messed up time travel of some kind, I think. Because the Apple Oakla logo is not the classic Apple logo from the 80s. It's the, the Apple logo that is on your phone right now, which is crazy. Yeah, it's definitely the modern Apple logo. Oh, yeah. Score-wise, book-wise, I, you know, I liked it a lot, actually. Uh, I thought it was pretty pretty entertaining. Um, they're pretty simple. The colors are the colors are they're good. It's an interesting story. Uh, I like what they got set up. The back, the back couple, four or five pages are, like, character design pictures, which is really cool, too. Uh, Score-wise, you know, I give it a four and a half. Like, I liked it a lot, actually. But it's got that whole Goonies, uh, E.T., but without E.T. feel. So, I don't know, that's that's what I like about it. Uh, Mr. Rob, do you have a score for that book? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too, actually. I'd probably give it a four. Um, I think it plays out well. It's interesting. We need to see where they take it. Um, I didn't even think about, until your, your second go-through, that we have the apple show up at the beginning of the story, and then the bite took him out of it. And then, you know, of course, we have the Apple logo at the end, so I don't know if they're actually making that as a full connection. Or I would say it's a full nothing. circle, because in her dream, what she has in her hands is an Apple. So, yeah, I'd say it's a full circle. Uh, Mr. Roth? Um, I'd probably give it a three and a half. It sounds pretty cool. I didn't get a chance to read it, but it sounds like it's a pretty awesome book. Right on. Uh, Kurt? I just remembered that the artist was actually the one that was doing Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a far cry from Wonder Woman. It is. It's it. not as finished, it seems. Um, okay, it's not as dark. I mean, Wonder Woman had a whole lot of... Well, no, I mean, to- line-wise. Tonality-wise, right. it's not as dark at all. No. But line-wise, it, it just seems it, it's a different style. I guess he's writing okay. to the style of the book. Maybe. 1988, you right. know. Um, I don't know. Brian K. Vaughn is hit or miss with me. Right. I'm not a giant fan of his, but he does some good work. I'd probably give it a three. Right. Good stuff. Uh, we'll move on to Doctor Strange, Rob. Sure. All right. Uh, 
So, Doctor Strange. Yeah. <clears throat> Doctor Strange this time around is being written by Jason Aaron and has the work by Chris Bacciello. Or Bacciello? I think it's Bacciello. I call him Bacallo. Bacallo? That works too. Well, that's how I pronounce Bacciello, it. Or Bacciello. So, I'm probably. He did a lot of X Men stuff and he's awesome. So. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. This sounds really familiar to me. Well, probably if you've hung around X Men for a minute. I don't know. That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking, uh, I was thinking Chris. Chris. Bucciolato, the guy that did oh, Flash with yeah. Francis Manipal. Mm. Well, he, he did that X-Men series just recently. Yeah. yeah. That had Spider-Man in it. Uh, Spider-Man and X-Men? Yeah. No. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> no, he was just in it. The uh, It was right after The Curse of the Mutants. Amazing, amazing yeah. X-Men. Yeah, he did that too. Yeah. <clears throat> but he was a part of the Uncanny for a while now. So. Yeah, no, I've always enjoyed his work. Mm-hmm. And it, his work has changed. Yeah. Um, it's not as... It used to be more of the image style. Right. And it's changed and morphed into his own thing. That's funny, I was actually talking to somebody about it earlier today, and they were like, oh, yeah, I remember him back when he was doing Shade the Changing Man back in Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Which I no idea that he ever did oh, that. Yeah. He's, he's got a lot of thick lines, and his characters are more compact, it seems. Which I really like, and I don't know why, but I, I enjoy yeah, it. I like his take. Yeah. So, um, but this version for Doctor Strange actually starts off with a quick retelling of the Doctor Strange mythos. And one of the big things that they wanted to focus on, or to really get out of this retelling, is that Doctor, Han- uh, Doctor Strange's hands have never been fixed. So he still does have shaky hands that don't quite grasp things the way that they're supposed to. And kind of, even though, you know, he's this master of magics, that's something that still actually is in his mind. And it's something that he thinks, like, he has to kind of compensate for a little bit. Um, but the story starts off with some great shots of him kind of fighting these lizardy-looking monsters. In this really surreal scene with, like, a giant teddy bear and flowers and all kinds of craziness floating around behind you. And as we kind of get into what's going on with him, we're finding out that he's using spells for all sorts of things. But one of the things that's different from my encountering with Doctor Strange is that there's times where just doing magic is not going to do it for him anymore. And so he actually has to physically conjure something to fight with. And so we actually are seeing him use, like on the cover of the giant axe, he actually brings up a sword. And they're also also bringing up... uh, the Doctor Strange is not just focused on being here and fighting the adversary. He also has like this whole moment here where he meets this girl that he thinks is attractive, and so he's like casting a spell to find out if she's into him while he's fighting the rest of the monsters. So we find out like you know Doctor Strange kind of got a you know, he's got a little bit of a dirty dog side to what he does. But um. Long story short, we find out that the the girl was into him, but uh, she's also a part of a soul-eating group of lizard monsters. And that uh, he needs them to evacuate the soul that they're in. When we pull back, we actually find out that Doctor Strange has been in this little kid's room for like 10-15 minutes or something, just floating there. And the parents are kind of like wigged out because they're like, oh, is he making kissing sounds just a minute ago? (laughs) And as he kind of comes out of it, he lets them know that, like, these things that were inside of their, their son has moved on. And that he'll, you know, start feeling better soon. 
And we hear it in his mind that he sent them basically to Rikers Island to attack pedophile souls. Because the, uh, the little lizard things, they eat souls. That's what they do. But you can't really destroy them. So he just moved them on to something that, you know, deserved, deserved to have their soul a little yeah. bit more eaten. And basically the kid won't be able to repair itself and it'll be fine. And the parents are like, well, how do we repay you for this? And he's like, well, you know, your neighbor next door feels like everybody's going to forget his birthday. So make him a cake and bring something over and get him a goldfish and stuff. That'll be my payment. As we carry on from there, like, as Doctor Strange leaves, we get to see a glimpse of what the world looks like for Doctor Strange. And he's kind of talking about how there's all sorts of things that go on with us that we never see. Like, our skin is crawling with bacteria, and we have little mites that are on our face and in our eyebrows and this and that. And, like, that's real stuff. And you could look it up, but you probably don't want to. Well, the supernatural world's the same way. There's all kinds of things around us all the time. A lot of times, they're not anything that's bad for you. But sometimes they are. And, um... As we uh, travel around, Doctor Strange takes us to kind of this hidden bar. And we wind up finding out that Doctor Strange has been trying to get all the magicians and magic users in the world kind of together. And we kind of find out from Doctor Strange, like, that he doesn't feel like he has a lot of real connections in the world. And that these are the other people who understand the world as he does. And it's like Shaman and Doctor Voodoo and the Scarlet Witch. And evidently a lot of them already left because Doctor Strange was late. And that's where we're also introduced to Manenko, the uh, Prince of Magic. It's kind of this old guy with like his eyes bandaged shut or something. And if you look closely in the background in the in the bar, you can see posters of him from when he was a performer or when he was a bigger magician. And he's basically explaining to Doctor Strange, like there has to be a balance. So everything that you do that's good, you have to do something a little dark. And he was basically talking about, you know, saving these people from Nazis and magic stuff, and then going and suffocating a rabbit. That's kind of like his payment to balance the skills. And, like, everybody's kind of like, oh, man, I'm tired of hearing you talk about this thing. But he's basically warning Dr. Strange, like, you're going to have to do this. You know, at some point, you have to balance the scale. You have to do something dark to make up for all the good that you're doing. Balance the scales. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, Dr. Strange basically explains, like, you know, he's paying this price already. He doesn't sleep more than three hours a night because the nightmares would drive him crazy. He coughs up portions of his soul on a daily basis. You know, he's got all these other things that, like, gnaw and, at and eat at him. But uh, you kind of get the idea that maybe that's not enough. Right. We also kind of find out from Doctor Strange kind of how things work and how he runs into people. Because he doesn't, he actively tries to solve magic problems, but not usually for the average person. So we find out that a lot of times, like the case that we saw at the beginning of the book, these people find him. They're connected to somebody who's somebody who knew something about something that led them to the Sanctum Centaurum. And uh, at the very end of this book, we run into this young lady that has a new problem. And basically Doctor Strange is like, whatever, I've seen everything, you know, just show me what it is. And she winds up having some kind of like eye and teeth growing on the top of her head. <laughs> 
And when he takes a look at it, he's like, oh, yeah, that's not something I've ever seen. And it kind of just erupts into, like, a whole cascade of demons sort of coming out. And he's like, oh, crap. Like, half of what the story is also talking about is that, you know, you can feel something changing. And if there's a storm coming, what's the magic storm going to look like? So kind of the last part of this book is him being like, well, if this is the birds flying away from the storm, what's the storm going to be? But uh, it's a heck of a story. It actually even has a little bit of a sneaky backup story that I think is going to be a bigger part of the story as we continue, where we're delving <laughs> into the multiple dimensions that Doctor Strange travels through in magic and how there's different um, Sorcerer Supremes in each of those different dimensions. So if they're ever going to bring back Callisto... This may be how they tried to do that. Because it's kind of hard to say how much they're keeping Doctor Strange with this new launch. Evidently Wong's still there. Which I don't know if Wong died from cancer or not in the previous run of the series. Because I know he had cancer and there was a big deal about that. But Wong is going to be back, even though we don't see him in this book. No, I was really happy with it. I actually was super excited with it. I was about to go and get the essentials and start reading more Doctor Strange because I just was really fascinated with the character after reading it. So I, I'm giving it a four and a half. I think I, I really enjoyed it. I love watching all his work anyways. Jason Aaron's a great writer. So it'll be fun to see what we do. Right on. Uh, Mr. Ross, you know anything about Doctor Strange? It sounds awesome. <clears throat> Art looks really good in it. Yeah, it sounds like it's a really cool book. Cool. Um, Mr. Curtis? Yeah, McCullough's um, layouts are just awesome. He never ceases to amaze, really. Right. It's it's a case of the old guys showing the new guys how to still do things. So, hey, he's been around for a while. I, I enjoy it. The price point's the one sticking factor for me. What'd you give it? I give it four and a half. <clears throat> I want to give it like a four, but because of the price point, I'll give it a three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marvel's... They're sticking it to us a little bit with these number ones. Mm-hmm. So if if it wasn't the price that it is with a backup story that... I mean, if we get Jericho Drum, Brother Voodoo out of it, or, or Dormammu, or even bring in the mindless ones again... Right. Uh, I think it would be worth it. But right now, it just doesn't... It grabs me, but not for that much. Right. So I'll give it a three. Yeah. Um... Yeah, you know, I, I'm in the same. I, it's a three and a half. The art's great. Stories is is interesting. The backup story was wasn't wasn't pointless, which I mean, a lot of them are pointless or are different books trying to advertise you something else. Yeah. Um, I don't like the price point either. I'll give you. It is a bigger book, so and after this, it goes back to the regular three ninety nine. So whether it's Marvel testing the waters or whether it's just because they put the extra story in the back and the cost is literally because of the page count, I don't know. But this particular batch of books, at least this week's books, we had two $6 books. I mean, Amazing Spider-Man and, oh no, f- four $6 books. Three $6 books, sorry, three. Because we had the Avengers Zero, which is kind of like a point one for the Avengers. Just point one, And then Amazing Spider-Man, which all the five ninety nine price point. Now granted, they're all really big books. But they're really big because they have multiple backup stories. Well, so Right, but... Marvel's uh, known to put older stories in the back of backups. Generally speaking, their backups are usually reprints of something else. I don't enjoy that. Understandable. This At least time, these weren't. Right. No, I, I understand that. But I think 
their track record is going to show that, hey, if we need to up the price of this book, we're just going to reprint something from the 80s or 70s. Yeah, and they've done that quite a bit, actually. And it so. doesn't make sense to me. No. Um, if I want that story, I'll go find it somewhere. If it's that important to it, I can look it up. True. That's a good point. I don't, I don't enjoy having to pay that much more just for that backup story that I could find somewhere else. So I don't know if that's just me. But or offer it two ways. I mean, I'm sure that that costs more for them. Right. But if they really wanted to increase the price point, offer one way without the backup story and make it still a little bit more, and then one way with the backup story and really raise the price on it. Or they could do a synopsis page like they did in this one for the backup. That way it, it tells you what's going on. Now, the other option is, that, I mean, sort of what Ross was saying, Amazing Spider-Man is doing this. They're doing the point, point one stories, which is another run of stories running next to the regular story. I don't know if Doctor Strange is strong enough to make that work, where Spider-Man is. Again, if it's just a way to cheat the book to a higher batch of pages, like with the few backups, at least most of the backups have something to do with what's happening. But like you said, if it's an old story, if it's really that important... Put a synopsis. Well, like you said, Doctor Strange may not be that strong of a book for that. Right. So why put four ninety nine on the f- damn cover and put two ninety nine on it to get new people interested in the book at a lower price point? Well, sadly, Marvel, this, this gimmick is almost across the board that it looks like most of the number ones are going to be four ninety nine. It's and then it drops down to three ninety nine. Right, but it's it's terrible. Who's I, gonna Who's gonna pick up that book who doesn't know Doctor Strange? I think it's bad. Yeah, it's a bad gimmick. It's a bad choice for them. So um, this particular backup it lends to yeah, it lends to the story, the mythos and the story. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be important later. But yeah, I, no, I understand what you're saying, and yeah, it's it's a dirty trick. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it is sad. I, I we get it. Marvel's not going to go down to two ninety nine anymore. It sucks. Right. But. But you didn't need to do four ninety nine for all of these number ones. And think of it this way: I love Doctor Strange. Ross doesn't get it. If it was at three ninety nine or two ninety nine, I would be inclined to buy two and give one to Ross. That way, he can he could try it out right, too. You enjoy the... But at four ninety nine, I'm not going to spend ten bucks on two books and give one away. That's just me. Yeah, I, it that's a valid point. It, it doesn't lend to it at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. And, you know, I mean, I, I think we all get it. Yes. You know, the the talent and whatever goes into books, it's going to have to come up. Mm-hmm. So the price is going to have to come up eventually. But it doesn't need to come up right now. Right. I don't well, think. Well, I'm pretty sure Bacallo commands a higher price than somebody else. You know what I mean? I'm sure, yeah. So they're going to get their money's worth. One other thing with the price on this one is I did notice that the paper is a little bit better. And I don't know if Marvel's just gotten better on that or now or I didn't even notice that. It feels a little thicker, but I don't know if that's across the board or not. If it is, well good job I guess. It's still not worth the extra price, but it, that's considering something that DC's doing it for the done. same for the same amount of money or less. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Except that the mouse is cheap. Well you think okay Bacola makes or does a page for eleven hundred. I'm just spitballing here. I don't know how much you get paid, and some other artists can do it for eight hundred. They're going to spend the extra three k or three hundred to get 
Bacallo, and that's going to up the right. price. Well, the with, with standard prices on, on art or whatever, it, here's, and I'm sure, like you said, Chris probably rates a higher dollar amount. But generally speaking, pencilers are 120 a page, and inkers are 80 a page at the current marble prices. Mm -hmm. Cover art, different thing, of course. And, of course, the better or more popular you are, the tag's different price tag. And I'm, I'm fairly sure he probably doesn't do uh, just digital stuff. Oh, I find it unlikely, but I don't think it. I don't think it matters whether it's digital or not with the well, price. No, I'm just saying. But the dudes that get their their artwork back to them and then oh, they can right. sell yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, that's farm, right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, they're making a uh, thousand percent on some. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, think about Pat Leeson pages. Well, you know? even that that cover for that one book from Pat was three K. That's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? He probably charged fifteen hundred for that cover to DC. And now he's selling it for twice as much. And I'm not bagging the guys. It's worth it if you're an art collector. But it's just upping the price of every book that we get for those uh, high-name artists. Well, I mean, ultimately, would you, in the end, we had, do we want higher, better-grade artists, or do we want the 80-buck artist? Well, I'm seeing other artists that have been in the game for years that are not as good as up-and-coming artists. Oh, that's true. And I would rather have that up-and-coming artist that's actually good. Right. Do there, a book. It's, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. It's not always a dollar profit. So I don't think that the price on this particular style book is because of that. Because, you know, I'm pretty positive Dr. Strange will go to a second printing. Pretty positive. Um, and I have seen people that don't know Jack about Dr. Strange buy it in the store. Granted, we may be the one anomaly in the world, um, but it, it, as far as the book's concerned, the price point's still a little outrageous for a first issue. If you're going to be doing like a backup story that is important, then go and do the point one. If people like the number one, they'll pick up the point one. Mm -hmm. Like they really will. Make it two separate books and be done with it. But and then it incurs more price, and so you got two three ninety nine books. But at least you get the option of whether you want to follow the second story. So buyer wise, for retailers, it sucks. Because it means we've got to buy two books if we're going to have them. I think the... But for for customers or for people in general, if you like the first book enough, you'll be interested in following more Doctor Strange. Right. So picking up the second book or the point one book would make sense. Well, there's also another idea. If they have that old story they want to reprint, put it in a zero issue Well, that you really don't need. The, the old reprints, I, I'm not really a fan of at all. Like, really, I'm not. If you if you really if it's really that important of a book that you need to read it to understand something, if you can't put a one page synopsis with I don't know two drawings or one drawing and add an extra four pages to your book count because that's what it'll take, then just don't do it. Mm -hmm. Or tell them where they can reference it on your digital store because that's what you really want to sell Marvel digital. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I don't like reprint stories. Again, Doctor Strange is not a reprint. But in general, and in their normal fashion, a majority of the reprint stuff is like a full book reprinted if that has absolutely nothing to do with anything else. But the Nice Nurse showed up in it, and Night Nurse was in this book, so... Huh? Where I think, I mean, and this isn't Marvel that got this right, but I think there is a way to do that where you can get it right when you're not charging extra for that reprint in the back. So, like, for instance, when Afterlife with Archie started... They would have an old Archie horror comic in the back of it, but you just felt like you got that as an extra thing. It wasn't like, like we're filling up our page count and charging you for it. It was just like, 
you already got your main story, but here's something a little bit extra to go along with it. And it's something that you probably can't find digitally either. I don't know if they've put any of those out anywhere or anything. So. Well, right, and in my mind, I think three ninety nine. I would have bought the book. Mm-hmm. Definitely would have bought the book. It was a, a no-brainer. But even with the extra stuff, if they would have left it at three ninety nine and said, hey, we've got some stuff planned, and you'd be able to see this at this price point, price point, I think that would have been a much better way to go. But I obviously don't work for Marvel, and I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm pretty sure they promoted the janitor, so I don't know. Awesome. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to the next book, um, which is going to be Batman and Robin Eternal, number one. Also another giant book. Ah. Yeah. Uh, important to know that the events of this take place somewhere after Grayson 12. So everybody already knows Grayson is alive. And I've had that moment to kind of get back together with him. Um, and this book kind of bounces around a lot, so I'm going to kind of tell it as close to a regular linear order. So, uh, we basically get to introduce the three main Robins at the beginning of the story while chasing down a unnamed techno-motorcycler. Which, you know, who knows? Could be Johnny Rotten, right? Johnny Ranson or something. Who knows? Either way, though, they introduce Dick Grayson, um, Jason Todd, and Red Rob or Tim Drake. So, Grayson, Red Hood, and Red Dragon, and they kind of introduce them and they give their good points about who they are as characters. Um, after which point, we kind of see how they all kind of work together. It's actually pretty cool to see all three of the Robins doing their own thing and working together as a, as a team. Um, but Grayson is con- continuously reminded that he's here for an agent, uh, a, a mission for Spiral. Right, and with the return, like, whenever they... The book that we, they, they bring Grayson back to the fold or let him meet with everyone is basically a, hi, I'm not dead, um, sorry I can't be a part of your life anymore, goodbye. Is basically what that all is. Because he leaves to go back to Spiral, and Spiral has told him he can't have ties with anyone else at all. So he's a uh, new family is supposed to be Spiral. Obviously that doesn't work out so well for that, considering he called the kids as soon as he got to town. But him being sent back to Gotham so soon, he thinks is weird. He mentions that several times in the book, too. Why was he able to, to finally tell everyone that... He elected to as part of his uh, induction into staying with Spiral. Like, he had already out outed some of the uh, upper upper management types for being bad mm-hmm. and run into a few characters that he didn't know anything about that were part of that group. Um, so, like, the whole him returning home is more on him kind of thing. Oh, okay. So it's not like, not like someone let him do it. It was just like he decided to do right. it. Right. Something he was ordered to do if he wanted to stay with Spiral. Uh, from there, we jump over to the Narrows where we find um, the Robo-Batman trying to chase down Another of the vigilantes, which uh, introduces Harper Rowe, aka Bluebird, and they also mention like what she does and what she kind of brings to the fold. And having those two kind of interact with each other, basically, Gordon doesn't want to have any of uh, Batman's assistants running around, especially not ones that weren't 
necessarily signed off by Batman to begin with. Well, ultimately, she was supposed to be leaning toward being trained by Batman, but now Bruce has lost his mind. Um, that's not happening. So, she's a partner that was never officially a partner. And, yeah, ultimately, the training she wanted, she's not getting. She kind of... So, it, it establishes that that Gordon's not wanting to work with most of these guys. And that Bluebird's going to do what she wants anyways. So... Uh, from there, we catch up with Grayson again, and he's at this kind of fundraiser. And he's kind of got a little bit of a disguise on. He looks a little bit like, uh, looks a little bit like Clark Kent, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Um, and he's talking to his uh, his operative in the van, and that this whole setup and coming back to Gotham and being in this building reminds him of one of the earliest cases that he had with Batman. And it was actually the introduction of the Scarecrow, and that the Scarecrow's toxin has a pretty nasty effect on you, so much so that it can actually manipulate who you are. And uh, she basically, he's basically telling her about how this case wound up leading them all across uh, Gotham and then it actually took them out of the country. And they, uh, he mentions basically that Crane was working with the police at the time, so they didn't even realize how close they were to him before he was outed as the as the scarecrow. Uh, but in the middle of his story, he kind of turns around and he notices all these kids are kind of looking at him. And the kid starts talking to him and uses his real name. And then they pull a gun on him. <laughs> and Nightwing has to escape the building with these kids running after him with a gun. And they're all talking about, you know, they, they know things that they shouldn't know. And they're talking about Mother uh, having them try to kill him. And as he escapes, and he gets to the uh, the control van, as soon as he gets in there, uh, his operative pulls a gun on him as well. And she fires on him. He winds up escaping with his motorcycle. And as we pull back, we see some kind of guy dressed all in white that uh, refers to himself as the orphan, and that the operative lady is reporting to him. As uh, he takes off, he's trying to contact uh, Red Robin or Red Hood, and he can't get a hold of anybody. And as he comes under this bridge, he winds up getting kicked in the head by some ninja, who winds up uh, revealing to who, if you're a savvy DC person, you know is Cassandra King. And we have a pretty cool little fight scene where we see her kind of take apart Grayson, which is important to note that he mentions before they start fighting that he's like one of the highly trained martial artists. In the city. Right, and she takes him apart like nothing. Yeah. Which you know Cassandra makes perfect sense. Uh, once it's all said and done, you know, he's, he's trying to question her as they fight, and the only thing that she says to him is mother. Well, she says a couple of things, I guess, but not very much. She winds up giving him an old flash drive with a bat symbol on it, which uh, Dick recognizes as one of the ways that Batman used to give out information. Evidently, you know, it's it's supposed to be older, so it's not as high-tech as Batman would have normally done. From there, she kind of disappears, which is no easy task, considering that, you know, Dick Grayson learned from the best how to disappear. From there, we catch up again with uh, Bluebird, and we kind of find out her brother is not super happy about her being Bluebird anymore. From there, we run into the orphan again, and basically he's saying that she's the key 
everything that's going on, and that uh, Nightwing can't find her, or Grayson can't find her, or whatever. Uh, from there again, we pop over to Grayson going to the Batcave, which has, for all intents and purposes, been shut down. And when he activates the file, it winds up bringing up a hollow recording of Bruce, or I'm sorry, Batman. Basically saying he always was worried that Dick would, would get this message, and that that meant he was failing, and that his greatest secret would come out. And that, you know, don't underestimate Mother, because she can make you do things that you never thought you would do. Both the beginning of this book and the end of this book send us to Cairo several years in the past, presumably the same time that we were chasing around the world after the Scarecrow. And at the very end, there's a very big, like, spoiler thing, I'll just leave for the book's ending, which is a part of what Batman has felt like he's, he's failed on, and that now Dick is going to have to find out for himself. So a lot of the story probably is going to be set on the mystery of the orphan and mother and whatever this mistake Batman made years ago was. Ms. Rosh, you to score for that book? Yeah, I'd give it a three. Um, the writing was good, the art was good. I would really like to see Damien in this book at some point. I know why he's not there. I know that he's out doing his own thing, and that makes sense. But it is really cool seeing Red Hood and Grayson and Red Robin all together. The only thing I felt was missing was Damien in that mix. Yeah. I think it's funny that DC's all about like giving us back, like now that they've given us Cassandra Kane and, and Spoiler. But I think it's hilarious at the same time because they're giving us the characters back, but that's not really... I mean, the characters we liked, but it was their backstory that we really liked in the old universe. Yeah. But overall, it was a good book. I think... I personally can't see getting it every week. Like, isn't it... This is the weekly one, isn't it? Is, it is, yes. And I, that's kind of out of control, but it seems like it's a good story and good art, if nothing else. So, uh, Curtis? 2.75. All right. That's a pretty precise number there, sir. It's as precise as 2.5. All right. It's better than 2.5. 2. 2.77. Yeah. Oh, now, we're getting, now, we're, now we're shaving weird here. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't keep math like that in my head. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I would give it a, a 4 because the art is pretty good. The ending is slightly infuriating. But I, I have a feeling that as things go, we'll get, you know, Rob's favorite quote, more story as the story goes along. Um, it wasn't even near it. I don't know how that goes. The story will make more sense as the story goes. Yes, yeah, there you go, okay. That's not even right either. But. No, but no. we know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, you know, if yeah. you're listening words, to the... read the book. Read the book, yeah. Read, other than just, yeah, because otherwise I have to spoil it. I think we'll find out more as the story goes. There you go. Hey, all right. Um, I like the, uh, the the couple new villains. Um, I like getting to see Harper Road do things. I do. I understand the, the Damien part not being there because he's doing his own thing. Eventually, he he'll have to be in the book because uh, being Batman, Robin, and the fact we've seen all the other sidekicks, it makes no sense if he doesn't eventually show up. But as far as like a setup's concerned, he's also not part of anything that happened in the past, mm-hmm. where all the other kids kind of are, except for Harper. Well, and spoiler, I guess. 
So was Red Hood, I mean Red Robin, part of the stuff that happened in the past? He's listed on that list that they show on the screen. Oh, it's true. Yeah. So, well, and there was also a whole bunch of other names. Now, I didn't recognize those names, but mm-hmm. there is a lot of other stories. There was another story that was uh, it was called Orphans. It was Red. It was Robin Orphans. That's right. And I wonder if some of those names actually correspond with those kids. Yeah, I don't so, know. That's a good question. Huh. I, I'm I'm not. That big of a Batman aficionado, unfortunately. Well, there, there was, it was Batman Orphan, is what the title of the book was. It was a two-part. Yeah. Um, story was okay. I don't remember any of those characters mattering. Yeah, it was like either. a set of sides. There's two two issue side story. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't. It didn't yeah. matter. And and also like uh, we are Robin. I don't know if any of those names can coincide with them either. Oh, good, so, good point. There's a whole lot of Robins in there. The only one that's really mattered is uh, Duke. Duke. So. Yeah. But yeah, they could, they could. I guess more research would have to be done. Uh, but yeah, I give it a four. I, you know, I dig it. Rob- one, other, one other thing, really quick, is I like that they're not, they're not pushing Bluebird on you. Like I know we were all kind of afraid when she was introduced that they were like, we're getting rid of Damien to make Bluebird Robin, and I like that they're kind of making her her own character and not be, like trying to make feels- her a replacement for. It feels a little more natural, yeah. Yeah. It is still kind of irritating that, like, oh, she's got to be important because stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, it's yeah. it's not quite as, as ham-fisted. Exactly, you know? yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd say 3.75. I enjoyed it. I You know, I, I'm a big Red Robin fan, so um, anytime he gets to come in and do stuff and it's not... Like, totally broken. I like it. Um, and I like Grayson a lot. And I like bringing him back into the fold. Um, I don't like that this is another Batman Feld story. But I do like the idea of getting to see some of the years that we didn't initially get in the New 52. You know, because they kind of just said, oh yeah, well we kept all this stuff. But they are going back and building some of that history. And so some of that's pretty cool. Um... And Scarecrow was one of those characters that was just there. We never saw his origin in the New 52. So this could be a cool take. I don't know if I'm wild about the idea of the Scarecrow working with the cops. Because that seems a little Gotham-y to me. But I'll give you that. Whatever, you know. I think this book, too, is the first time I've seen red robin act like the red robin i would expect him to act like in the new 52 which granted i haven't read a lot of teen titans but from what i have read he never seemed quite the same they're getting better and this one did feel a lot like the tim drake that i really liked with pre-new 52 so but yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a heck of a ride with it being a weekly book so but i think as last time they're gonna do a lot of bat mythos in this book, so it's definitely one to watch if you're a Batman fan. Sweet. Alright, well, let's move on to Survivor Club number one. <clears throat> this is Vertigo Comics. Uh, uh, the writer's Lauren Bukes? Bukes? B E U K E S. Bukes? Bukaus? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bukaus? Okay. Um, <clears throat> Bukaus is how I It was two writers. There's, uh, there's, there's Lauren Bukaus and Dale uh, Holverson. And then uh, the artist is uh, Ryan Kelly. 
Um, anyway, art-wise, books looks good. Um, the way this thing opens up, like the first the first panel is a splash page, and we've got someone staring at their hands, and one hand has a plus sign, and the other hand has what looks like a, a circular target, um, which is, is also on the cover of the book, sort of. Uh, anyway, uh, interesting, because we don't know who it is. As we go through the, uh, write-up, we wind up finding out that someone has sent emails to a bunch of different people that all survived some type of traumatic event that happened in 1987. And, uh, they're trying to get them together as a group. And then we slowly go through as we introduce each character and give their backstory of what their regular lives are like. And... We find out one's like a homemaker, another one works as an EMT, another one seems to be, I don't know, if she's supposed to be some type of street alcoholic or what she's supposed to be, and then another one is a uh, famous by association with a movie adapted version of his horror story life. So what his event was turned into like a movie of the week type thing. So he's kind of famous, but on the outside of being famous. Anyway, um, and we meet our main character, and she, her event had to do with, uh, the death of her mother, and then a video game that made her kind of go crazy, and got her father killed in a fire. Yeah, there was a, there was an old myth about a, a game that was like, uh, when you played it, it was like acid in your brain, and like, the government was supposedly coming and taking all the records and stuff, and like, it made you, uh like have problems sleeping and all sorts of things like that it really is a real like urban myth thing and so it's kind of that same game idea that they put with her which i thought was super cool but yeah she turns out to be the one that sent these emails and we've got another fella who we wound up seeing throughout the book but he's sitting on a truck very shadowed out and like singing to himself um which is uber weird but uh of the people who were supposed to show up, he apparently was invited to this meeting and then was the only one that didn't come inside and no one else seems to know he's out there. Alright, so our main character, Tinzira, um, she's South African, which is where her whole like story unfolds as a kid and the fire and stuff happened. She's the one that's called everybody together. Um, and most of them don't seem to understand what she's... Like, she initiates this, this meeting telling them that she's found a list online and that all their names are on this list. And it's a list that was supposedly she found in the, when she was digging around through the dark net, which is supposed to be the uh, internet for crime and thugs, I guess? I don't know. Uh, dark net supposed to be it's separate from the regular internet, and it's where you go if you're going to traffic things and do illegal blah blah blah. Anyway, um, and she tells all of them that, that she's going to play them this video, which... She's found a video of the... She explains her story about the game. And we get to see it, of course. But uh, she explains it to the others. And they're all like, yeah, you're full of crap. Nothing happened to us in 87. Um, so what are you talking about? And she tells them, well, she's found a video walkthrough of something very similar to the game she played. However, it is not the same game. But it has certain code that seems that is the same. And she's found a guy online who's done a video walkthrough of it. And she's going to prove it to them and show them part of this video. And she said, if you don't feel anything or nothing happens to you, then you can leave. And so she starts the video. And 
as the video walkthrough starts to play and the guy starts talking about the game, each one of them has flashbacks to the thing that happened to them. Uh, one looks like maybe he was bit by a vampire, or it's hard to say what exactly. He's got two bites on his neck and he can't tell what they're supposed to be. And then uh, Alice, who's the homemaker type, has some kind of weird freaky, uh, like, uh, shut-in type... It's hard to say exactly what's happening to her. She's sitting on a stairwell. looks like she's crying to herself with a bunch of body parts or mannequin parts around. It, it's weird. Um, then one of the kids was looks like he was exercised by a priest. Uh, that would be the, uh, the boy who's Hollywood. And then uh, our, our Asian lady, she sees a, what looks like a burned shadow on the wall. Or a ghost. It's hard to say what exactly is happening. And it makes her freak out and go crazy. Anyway, um, so as they're talking, she, she explains to them that this list is basically a survivor's club of all these different horror stories and things that have happened. Well, in the middle of that, um, our, our drunken girl tells, tells everyone she needs to go to the bathroom because she's going to puke. And, she, of course, um, Kisanya? Kisanya? The South African girl, whose name I don't remember again. <laughs> Um, she turns off the video, and, uh, she, the other girl walks off to find the bathroom to puke. And in the process of that, she starts poking around in the house, and winds up seeing that in, like, what looks like a bedroom, there's a double of everything. Like, a double dress, double brush, d just a double of everything. And then she's caught by Alice, who was the homemaker. Anyway, they all decide they're going to, well, at least two of them decide they're going to leave. This, they, they, this is just crazy nonsense where I'm out of here. And so our EMT leaves, and the others seem to stay. Well, we rejoin our EMT back at his job, and uh, his partner's like, Man, you missed a crazy night last night. We pulled a guy in that had basically ripped out his own throat, and some kind of video game player guy got, said the video game killed life and made him all crazy. Well, so the EMT automatically realizes that it's got to be the guy they were watching on the video last night. So he goes into the crazy ward, which is where he's locked up at. Goes and finds the guy. In the process, opens uh, up the curtain and gets attacked by a swarm of uh, what looks like crazy bees. Which I assume must be what the stings on his neck were from, probably. But they're not regular bees. They're like crazy... What are those, uh, scorpion bees, maybe? Because yeah, they have scorpion tails. Scorpion it's crazy. Anyway, um, so he's attacked by the swarm, and then the swarm is gone all of a sudden. So I, I'm pretty sure it's in his head. But he gets a look at the dude who was in, admitted into the hospital, and sure enough, it's the guy from the video walkthrough. And then from there, we jump forward to him, uh, requesting some information about the, uh, guy. And we get a couple flashes of our other characters as they're having different things happen to them. We see the uh, guy outside still singing in the car to himself. And then we get a kind of big reveal for Alice, which I'll leave off because it's, it's a better, it's a pretty good hook. Uh, but someone's definitely freaky with her too. So like every single one of them has something freaky in their lives. And somehow it's come to effect by this game and maybe the game is the cause of it. Pretty interesting book for first issue. I'll give you some of the art. It's kind of crazy. It's hard to say exactly what's happening. But it's a horror story, so open your own interpretation. Uh, Book-wise, I give it a three. Um, I I'm interested in the story. Um, I liked the write-up a lot when it first came out. So The art's way better than I expected it to be, actually. So I don't know. Good good stuff. I'd say check it out. Uh, Rob, you got a score for the book? Um, yeah, I was actually really... Pleasantly surprised with it. I give it a three and a half. 
there's a lot of things I really liked about the story that, you know, it's kind of hard to get into in, in a quick read-through. Um, the the Asian girl, like, I don't think she's an alcoholic, but she may be homeless. Um, but she has a really creepy thing that you only see for a minute in, like, a, a strange thing where she uh, she says everything in first in Japanese or Chinese and then speaks afterwards. And they kind of allude to that being a part of whatever happened to her in her crazy nighttime thing. But there was a part in the middle there. Um, I think the guy who didn't come in goes to the park. And oh, right. I completely skipped that. Sorry. There's a whole thing where he draws the glasses on himself and maybe he kills everybody in the park. Or maybe he just thinks about killing everybody in the park. It's hard to say. Whoever yeah. these people are, though, they're profoundly broken. The MT is the only one who seems like he's really got it together. And even he, after the B thing, like goes to see the guys in the uh, MRI department to have his brain checked out. Right. Because <laughs> he thinks, like, oh, it's got to be something wrong with my head. I, this is this series seems like it could be really big. I think that the game links them, but I think each of them had their own horror story, and the game is just somehow a part of that bigger horror story. Right. So if this gets to go on, we might actually see each of them have their own individual chapters. Maybe. Yeah, I forgot about the uh, the him visiting the uh, MRI people because uh, the girl that does MRI for him says something to the effect of, uh, yeah, I can't keep doing this for you. Yeah, so he's so been there he's before. he's been there before. Yeah. Did you score that book, Rob? Yeah, I give it 3.5. Okay. I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was pretty good, I thought. Mr. Ross? I'll give it a 3.5 as well. That's a lad. Kurt? I'll, I'll give it a 3.49. You are a <laughs> son of a... <laughs> no, it's, it's drawn by uh, Ryan Kelly. Mm-hmm. We saw in last, I think, was Star Wars. Oh yeah, and he also Star Wars for a Dark Horse. He did that three book with Kieran Gillen. Oh really? And he did some stuff with uh, Brian Wood in DMZ and Northlander. So I enjoy his art tremendously, and I think he needs more work. So I'll support that book. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a four. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully this book takes on because it's pretty. Pretty well done, I think, so far. I think the only thing that'll hold it hold it back is the writers, and it's not because they can't write, because she's a known novelist. Um, it's just she's unknown to a lot of people in our community. So I would say the comic side of it, right? Yeah, uh, I'm not saying she can't write, but that lady that does Alabaster, she did phenomenal with the Alabaster in the comic world. So, um, yeah, I'll give it a four. Well, and uh, writing for a novel and writing for a comic are totally different. Oh so, yeah, you, know, you bounce around too much. You know, the comic reader has has issues sometimes. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Uh, let's go and move on to uh, The Avengers Zero. Let me say it's the last book for the show. It is. All right. Uh, and artists and writers are pretty numerous for this, so unfortunately they won't get their due. But Well, in this particular book is like, it's, a, it's an anth- not really an anthology, but it's like a sampling of each of the different chapters for each of the Avengers teams. So, like, more of a preview in case you don't know what kind of team you like, maybe, or to sample all the teams. Mm. It, it may also shed some light on why there's going to be so many different Avengers setups as we come into this, too. So, basically, the way that this story is actually being told is all from the Squadron Supreme, and evidently their lead character, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong... I believe it's Owlman. 
Right. Even in Marvel. Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. But um, what we do know is that we have the Supreme that was with the Avengers before this point. Or not Supreme. Sorry. Hyperion. Good God. <laughs> I was going to say Diana Ross. But... <sighs> we ha- well, it could be. She's part of the Supreme of the band. <laughs> yeah. We, we have the Hyperion that was a part of the Avengers before this point. A much different man that's kind of like Superman. And then it seems like all of the other Squadron Supreme characters are from different parallel worlds. And the Owlman is trying to like put them together, and he's basically telling them that the way that we're going to do things, we may come into conflict with the Avengers. And so it's important that you know who they are and why they're important. And so we kind of pop over and we're visiting some of the different Avengers groups. Uh, one of the first little stories that we have in here is actually dealing with just the vision. And what's happening is the vision's mind remembers everything perfectly. So every event, every conversation, he has perfect recollection. Well, his mind has started playing tricks on him. And so when he goes to places that he remembers, his emotional uh, memories are replaying. And so he's seeing ghosts. He's seeing all the interactions that he's had with people at the same time in these locations. And it's becoming a thing where it's actually distracting him from what's really happening in the world. And so when he uh, he's coming in and he's talking to Wanda, or the Scarlet Witch, and we're seeing like five versions of her in the living room while he's talking to her, because every you know time that he had had a conversation with her or something that was triggered, it's bringing that memory to life. And he's basically explaining to her you know, how these things are coming up and how they're affecting him. And that finally he comes flying down and there's a bus that has fallen off the road and some kind of landslide and it's on fire and he heard somebody inside of it. And he goes flying inside of the bus. And she's like, oh yeah, that would be something that she'd done like a thousand times. It's no big deal, right? Well, when he gets in there, he sees all the people he's ever rescued from broken buses and stuff. They're all shadows. They're all, you know, most of them are not real. They're all just memories that he's had of this event that's played over and over again. And so he realizes that, like, this could be something that's going to cost somebody's life. So I can't have this being a distraction. And so he's, like, telling her that this was his test. And she's like, I don't understand what you mean. This is your test coming to me. And he's like, well, it's emotions that make me remember this stuff. And you are the one that I've had the most emotions about. And so I'm removing my emotions. And my test was to see whether I got rid of all of them when I came to see you. And so she kind of is like breaking down, like, oh my gosh, you'd erase all your memories of everything. How could you do that? And he's like, that's well, already done. And that's kind of the building block, I think, for both the Avenger, or for Vision and for Scarlet Witch's story. And from there we go back to Squadron Supreme, and we kind of meet their big bruiser character, which is this new female character. And she's basically like, I don't respect the Avengers. And, and Owlman's like, well, you should, because there's a, a woman on the Avengers that is every bit as powerful as you. And so he starts telling her about Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel evidently got a whole space station full of ladies that are running space stuff... And they witness a stellar rip 
where an entity of pure energy is born. And in their investigation on it, it winds up actually striking out at Captain Marvel. And we have to have this new research scientist lady go out there and do some science to attack it with a grenade. <laughs> and if that sounds flimsy, well, it's not written flimsy, but... Yeah, so she attacks it with a little grenade thingy, and it disappears for a little bit, and we're introduced to Captain Marvel and her new little team, and probably this energy being becomes Singularity, which we met in A-Force miniseries that just came out. So it's pretty much just building the blocks for that character to be part of the team in our regular universe. In right. And they do actually make a nod that Dazzler might be important, except for it's just that she's standing by a broken-down car with her skates. Sad day, Dazzler. Yeah, she's going to have to get to space. Which, once again, we fly back over to Squadron Supreme and see what they're doing. And they're talking, basically, about destroying this building that they're in. With this little nuke bomb. And they're like, well, even if these guys are as tough as we are, or they have people that we should respect, they can't technologically be at the same level that we are. Which flips us over to the new Avengers. Led by Robert Costa who still controls AIM. And we get kind of a crazy interdimensional look into the future of what the new Avengers are going to be about. And there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff, including a possibility of a American... They call it the American Kaiju, but basically like a Godzilla with an American flag <laughs> branded oh on its gosh. head. <laughs> Possibly being in there. But it looks like it's going to be a heck of a team. It's going to have a lot of really cool characters showing up in there. And kind of one of the hooks they have at the end of that is um, the reemergence of a group called Wasp, which was a, an alien species that's got a kind of a hive mind. But um, there was an old Marvel character that was just a living head, I think it's Silvermane, that was put on to, like, gorilla bodies and yeah. all this stuff. And so we're probably going to see gorilla... Um, Silver main back. Gorilla main? As a thing. <laughs> so we definitely have the gorilla body with little robot legs and a scorpion tail. Jeez. Mm. <laughs> it's probably going to be a part of it. But they also make a sneaky return of Mr. Fantastic from the Ultimates. So whatever happened in Secret War, whatever is going to happen, he's going to be in our world. In case you didn't know, he's a real jerk. Yes, he is. And the kind of Supreme is like, well, or uh, Squadron Supreme is basically like, well, at least there's nobody who, you know, will cross that line like we will. And they're like, really? Well, welcome to the Uncanny Avengers that has Deadpool. And basically we find out that Deadpool is working with, uh, with Captain America. And it's basically the only job he does for free. But it's the only job he also does that he doesn't kill people. <laughs> so we're going to find out that he does kind of some covert stuff for Cap and uh, one of the big things he's doing is he's trying to get samples of Trigen Mist which evidently Rogue flew into and is now like deathly ill because of so evidently they're going with the idea that the mutagen in the Trigen Mist as it's crossed the world is now becoming harmful to mutants if not deadly and so we kind of see a connection between those two. And even though Captain America or Steve Rogers is not 
quite ready to be like, yeah, Deadpool, you're an Avenger. He's like, in time, you could be. And he winds up giving him his own Avenger card. But he's going to be a part of the ult- of the uncanny. So. Right. Better watch out, Fox. You're going to kill off all the mutants. I'll try to. <laughs> not make him in humans. Who knows? And then kind of the last part, they give a little bit of a setup for it. But it's introducing a pretty interesting group, which is going to be the ultimate Avengers. From there, we get to kind of meet Miss America Chavez and understand that she can manipulate space as well. So she's dealing with a rift in interdimensional space also. Evidently, she can kind of use uh, happy thoughts to close it. She's got odd powers. Yeah. Rufio. Yep. Kind of, well, she she does uh, kind of a Rufio thing here. But, um, yeah, Miss America Chavez is pretty cool. She's got flight, super strength, and vulnerability, and then she can also uh, kick teleporting holes into reality that show up in the form of stars. Yeah. But they wind up basically inviting her into the, the Ultimate Avengers, which is going to be her and Spectrum and... Uh, Black Panther and the Blue Marvel and Captain Marvel, and then you got Rockford doing the art. I'm sorry, I didn't mention anybody else's artist, but Rockford, fantastic. So it's almost like the Mighty Avengers again, minus Luke Cage, at Miss Cat Marvel. Yep, kind of wraps up with them, basically saying like, well, wait until the world gets a load of Squadron Supreme. So it's kind of their take on all of the different Avengers teams that we're going to be seeing, but it gives you kind of a little bite-sized portion of what each team is going to be like and kind of how they're going to represent the different sides of the Avengers. With the, with the entire time of giving a Squadron Supreme breakdown, too. Mm-hmm. So the way, it's, the way the book's built, it kind of demos a, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. If it was trying to really sell anything, I think, it's the Squadron Supreme, which I think is a good call for them because the Squadron Supreme... If you're an older fan, you might know them and already want to come to that book. Otherwise, it might not be something that you were interested in seeing. Um, the other one for me is, of course, I really like that vision story. I thought that was a really well done little piece. So, And I like the idea of the Ultimate uh, Avengers having Deadpool on there. Because it kind of seemed like it was almost just a... Yeah, it was popular. Uncanny? Yeah, Uncanny, I'm sorry. Uh, Wolverine's dead, so let's just put Deadpool on him. Like, it actually kind of makes a little bit better sense that he's there. So. Cool. Uh, Rob, you want to score that book? Uh, I mean, it is what it is. It It's it's promo. So, um, I don't know, I give, give it a three. I enjoyed it a lot, but, you know, I mean, it is what it is. So. Yo, Ross? I'd probably give it a three as well. I like, I mean, I like the sampling type of thing. Kind of lets you have a chance to figure out what you might like right. from it. So, Mister Curtis averages out to about three chicken tacos. I do like chicken tacos. So does uh, Deadpool. Everything, well, everything is a three-ish, except for Ultimate Avengers, which I would give it a four. Really. So three and a half, maybe. No, just three. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, you know, I give it the same uh, three. I mean, book-wise, by itself, it, it, it's interesting, but it really is a Squadron Supreme story with an Avengers title. 
as far as the rest of it setup wise it it's a cool idea but it's almost like as I was saying earlier I mean we got the point one book which is like a demo for a bunch of things and then they did the Avengers zero which is like a point one for just Avengers characters so and then we got Amazing Spider-Man which granted does have the regular Amazing Spider-Man issue but it's followed up with four backup stories so it's like a, a giant sampler batch of books that's not really a sampler I, I, in the end, I give the book a three itself. I mean, yeah, it's told pretty well. The way they explain certain things, I'm pretty sure they're not going to show back up in the other stories. No. So if you're wanting the Fall of Vision, chances are you need this book because I bet you the way they start it, we start from go after the down, the, after the uh, emotional, drain. emotional drain or whatever. And same thing for Wanda. So it makes those books be able to start from a zero point and move forward. So if you don't have this, then you don't actually have the whole story. But they've done that before in other books... We were just talking to that guy earlier today about how Deathlock originally showed back up during the uh, Operation Sin, or no, or during Original Sin, and like his intro lead-in started in that book before his actual book. So trying to find where the book actually started, you had to go back through and find like part four of a middle of a series. Anyway, that's a long story for no reason. Uh, I give it a three. Um, I think that takes care of regular books and tacos. Ross, you got books to watch? Uh, yeah, I've got two. So one of them already came out this last week, but they released a trick-or-treat graphic novel. Oh. Which is really cool. I guess it is kind of the history of Halloween. So it starts out in Ireland and moves to, um, like, the Old West here, and then a 50s story, and then a modern story. So kind of just cool extra stuff. And Sam isn't a main character, but it's kind of like the movie, and he's in the background of every one of them. Um, and then they're also making a Krampus graphic novel that should be kind of a prequel to the movie that's coming out next month. And those should be really cool. Cool. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, Rob? Um, I actually like Survivor Club a lot more than I thought I would, so that's going to be a really good one to watch out for. Um, the Extraordinary X-Men... I think it's going to be fantastic. I think that's going to be their lead. Um, they made a commercial in the back of the Amazing Spider-Man for Deadpool Spider-Man, which should be pretty awesome when that gets all said and done. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Those are the ones for me. I think all right, Kurt. I can't think of any. Sad day, Kurt. It'll come to you like Read right the spirit. No. There you go. That's it. <laughs> All right. Uh, see, I would suggest to you Harley's Little Black Book, um, the series itself. Uh, now, there will be a bunch of crazy variants that are polybagged with that logo in the front of it, but uh, this it'll have its own little, little series, too. Kind of like a Harley Quinn team up, I guess. Um, and then Cable Deadpool, because we're going to see a return of that. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that'll be... Awesome. Big fan of the first run. Oh, uh, Ninja Turtles Batman is coming out pretty soon. Oh, another crossover book. That's true. We're having a Ninja Turtles Batman crossover. You know you always wanted it. Yep. <laughs> There's also the uh, Dark Knight 3. DK3. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, don't like, I don't like that. It's Frank Miller and, and uh, uh, Azarello. Uh, writing it, so if you liked Wonder Woman, uh, Brian Azarello, that would be who gave you the Wonder Woman for the first 
36 issues. Uh, and Frank Miller, well, it's Frank Miller. So, uh, I think, I don't know, I think it'll be pretty cool. I mean, it's eight part. It's a pretty big deal, really. It'll be kind of cool to get another story in that universe, if nothing else. Yeah. Right. Was DK2 cool? Nope. Uh, well, DK2 had pieces that were good. Adam was cool. If you read them next to each other, though, it, it really doesn't stand up. Which is probably why Azarello's helping. Azarello is pretty darn good. Badass? Oh, yeah. Maybe I haven't read stuff from him yet. <laughs> uh, and then also Batman Europa is finally going to get out. Which What? Batman Europa? Holy cow, I'm really? I'm super happy about that. Yep. Isn't that the one that was like six years ago or something? Pretty now? close, yeah. And it was supposed to precede the uh, New 52. Uh, okay, maybe by, not by, six by years. By at least a year. Feels even longer than six no, years. No, more, <laughs> more like four, yeah. Because wasn't that the one that they kept saying was going to come out and then it never did? And, yeah. Okay. The Batman Joker story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I guess the what the first issue is going to be Jim Lee, and then it's going to have another artist after that. Yeah, I'm not sure who's doing the second issue. I haven't seen the solicit for it yet. But yeah, the first issue is Jim Lee, and the rest of it's it's a four part, so it's hard to say art wise. They haven't said who the second one is. I don't think. But yeah, I, I don't think it'll capture the interest that it originally had. But yeah, Batman, Joker, Batman's poisoned, and he has to go to the Joker for help. All set in, uh, I think it's France. So. Looks like it should be fantastic. And, it, yeah, it's finally getting done, so. Yay. I'm not going to lie. I'm interested in it solely because they dug it back up and are wanting to do it now. Just <laughs> They probably had that first issue done for four years. Probably. I'm going to bet that's why the first issue is done by Jim and the rest of it's going to be done by somebody else. Because Jim jumped on that stupid Superman book, right? Unchained. Well, he did that, too, and he also did uh, Justice, League. Justice League and... Yeah, so it's not like Jim hasn't been busy. It's just that that story got killed so long ago. He, there's no reason for him to finish it. He was spitballing like half the costumes for the new Fifty Two. Right. So, what do we got laying in the wastebasket? Oh, there's Batman Rope One. Let's dig that out again. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna go over the the Supergirl boot concept. <laughs> I thought wow. That's what you were digging out of the trash. <laughs> that's that's for next week. <laughs> I think I think it'll be awesome. That trash comment was mostly a joke about it being set around for so long. Mm. Not because it's bad. No, I think it'll be great. Anyway. Why uh, is it in France? I have no idea. I mean, is it like a French Batman or no. is it just set it's in Batman France? That's just set in France. Batman. Yeah. I, I don't know if there was any real reason for that other than just like that's where they wanted to set the story. And at this point, it's hard to say if that piece is going to stay with it or not. The new The newer write-up doesn't include that in there. But the original batch write-ups did. So it's going to be weird when Gotham looks like France. I don't, you know. I, I guess we'll see. <laughs> you know, when do we get an Eiffel Tower, Gordon? <laughs> I'm sure. If, I'm sure if it matters, it'll be told to us. They'll knock it down. Because the <laughs> done, so it's okay. Do like in the Lego game where he made it into the bat symbol. Nice. <laughs> Why not? Anything else, boys? Oh, um, yeah. I, it's an easy book to not care about, but if you're a Green Lantern fan. Lobo has had a lot of Green Lantern stuff going on in it. So it might be worth actually taking a look in those issues for Green Lantern stuff. I know it's against our you know, combined will to get rid of this Lobo, but they actually are pretty cool <laughs> little things. Well, they had a new Red Lantern show up in the most recent issue, yeah. and there's like... Yeah, they almost killed Dexter. I almost yeah. lost it. it I yeah. Was, I was pissed. And Lobo? Yeah. Yes. I was even more pissed that it was in Lobo that they almost killed him. Who's the new Red Lantern? 
She's a she's a new character. I think is she's she a, a totally is she new from character. like Earth. She looks like she's from Earth. She's humanoid. Because Rancor's dead. Yeah, which I think that also happened in Lobo. It did. Take that, all you non-believers. Lobo matters. Because remember, old Lobo had the Red Lantern ring. Yeah. Is that connected to this? Unfortunately, no. Because they they have not made Biker Lobo appear again since issue one. I wonder if there's a deeper-rooted connection. I certainly hope there is, because... But yeah. then again, there was no connection between... Well, he was he's he's the one that caused Supergirl to go red. Yeah. That's true, yeah. He mm-hmm. did kick off the Red Daughter story. Hmm. Yeah, there's a connection with him and, and Lanterns a little bit, but not... You know, like like it used to be. Mm. I I still hold out hope that they're going to do something with it, but I have a feeling that if they can convince themselves that people care about this new Lobo, they're not going to ever bring back old Lobo. Is Guy still a Red Lantern? He's half and half. Well, that's right. In the uh, first in the army, army. army. Mm-hmm. yeah, which is cool because he actually lost both rings ultimately by the end of the Red Lantern series. Bastard. Yeah. Now he's back and we call him Christmas Guy. Yeah, he's got both. That's awesome. No, I'm the only one? Yeah, you're the only one who calls him Christmas Guy. Christmas Guy sounds too generic. Oh. <laughs> Why well, you call him, him Christmas Gardener, but it sounds like he went on the card of Santa Claus <laughs> and stuff. Christmas Lantern? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I like that either. It sounds like somebody put it on your porch. There's nothing good can come from this conversation. No, How about not. some tequis? <laughs> tequis! Tequis! <laughs> okay.